0: All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of GDIY. I'm joined by Chris Powell of the Houndsman XP. Chris, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Nick. Yeah, so... First, I'm going to go ahead and apologize that you and I haven't had a, a fun conversation actually talking about hounds and dogs and what it is that we actually love to do about this stuff. But, uh, you know, we kind of circled and, and, and connected over a uh, common concern within the hunting community here recently. And so we figured that we needed to come on and talk about this important measure and important issue. Uh, and then at some point down the road, we're going to circle back and actually have you back on and we can talk about the really fun stuff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this sounds good to me yeah it's uh it is a serious time for hunters across the united states and around the world and um i'm just trying to figure out a way to to get hunters to wake up and realize that the time for being apathetic about these issues is over you know it's just it's over we've got to we've got to figure figure out how we're going to combat this epidemic of uh um, Sensationalism and emotionalism and a departure from science-based wildlife management, and um, you know, just just get everybody on board because because we can win this thing if we all get together, we can defeat these mm-hmm. these groups
0: yeah and and I think you know I'm not the most optimistic person in general out there in in, in the world but when it comes to something like this and, w- and we're gonna get into the specifics more more specifically what we're talking about is the, the initiative 91 going on in Colorado and somebody listening right. to this are like well I don't live in Colorado well neither myself nor Chris live in Colorado nope. uh, but this is kind of to piggyback off what Chris says this this issue going on in Colorado is kind of the kickoff to the opposition, if you will, uh, trying to take certain measures within the dog community a step further. And, uh, you know, Chris, you just did a a really good podcast with uh, Dan Gates recently, and I listened to that a couple times where you guys really broke out a lot of the issues behind initiative 91 and how it developed over time, because this didn't just drop on everybody's doorsteps. This was like years and even a decade plus kind of strategic, uh, approach from the opposition. And when I say opposition, let's just call it what it is. The anti hunters, uh, they, they have managed to get a, a push an initiative on the public voting ballot this upcoming November, to uh, essentially outlaw bobcat hunting, mountain lion hunting, and even lynx hunting, which is already banned right. and, and outlawed, but this—that's the
1: clickbait in the
0: in the title are going to have on the on the ballot exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we're going to kind of dive a, a little bit into this and why this really matters to people, especially on my end, where most of my audience are bird dog and and just dog nerds in general. Uh, they might be like, "Well, why do I?" what is in it for me? Why do I care that, you know, the houndsmen are getting picked on again? And, uh, I'll kind of let you kind of kick it off and, and explain kind of the level, uh, that it's gotten to and kind of give us a a high level,
1: uh, overview, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'll give you the 30,000 foot view here, and then we can get into the details off of that. So, Nick, I appreciate you having me on your podcast. I, I keep track of you guys. You guys are doing some great work there in the gun dog world, and uh, what I do and what you do aren't that far apart. It's just a different breed of dog and exactly. a different game species that we're chasing. We're both uh, very dedicated to to training and and working dogs and and all of that sort of stuff. And I've been around hunters my whole life. Uh, grew up hunting and fishing. Uh, my earliest memories as a kid involved bird dogs and tailgates full of quail. And from my grandfather, my great grandfather was a, was a, my great grandfather had uh, pointers. My grandfather had pointers. My, my dad had a pointer. And, and so my earliest memories of, As a child, we're standing there with my dad. I mean, I've got pictures of it somewhere, and I need to find him. He's passed away now, and I can't find the picture. But he's sitting there holding two quail in front of me. And, I mean, I was a toddler. And uh, that passion for dogs didn't follow the pointer model of my, my family. But a lot of that is because of the downturn in availability to hunt you know, because of habitat loss, and, you know, you get, you get, I can tell you where there's one covey of quail within 15 miles of my house right mm-hmm. now, you know, and that's a whole different topic for a different day, but, um, you know, was, so my, my path followed more of maybe an opportunistic ability to hunt, and that was with coonhounds in the state of Indiana, there's no place that's uh, more prolific with coon hounds than than the state of Indiana and um, and so that's the path that I followed but it all comes back to that working dog mentality that you and I both share and your audience shares so here's a 30,000 foot view of what's going on and it started it started decades ago and one thing that that the audience needs to understand is that When we talk about anti-hunters, they're not the same as the non-hunting public. 100%. The the anti-hunting public are extremists that will do whatever they have to do to um, affect our freedoms as hunters and to take away our abilities to hunt. There's a lot of motives behind that. There's a lot of money behind it. You know, you take a group like the Humane side of the United States, we're talking about a, a multi-million, if not, I think their gross receipts, the last time I checked in 2018, were around $60 million. Mm. So, you know, when you look at this thing, you really think it's a David and Goliath type, um, type fight that we're in here and when you're looking at economics it is but when you look at population dynamics we're really on even footing here about 10% of the united states population are hunters about 10% are vehemently against it and they want to stop all hunting and then we've got the 80% who they just want to mind their own business they <laughs> right. they like working they like looking at wildlife they like going to that, uh, you know, Smoky Mountain National Park and seeing a black bear, or going to Yellowstone and seeing a bison, or whatever. And and they really don't have a dog in the fight, and and so that's the population dynamic. And I think as hunters, a lot of times we try to go head to head with the wrong with the with the anti-hunting crowd that we're never going to change their minds you know, uh, you're just, you're, you're not, there's too much money. You've got executives making money. You got masterful marketing schemes there. You've got all the, and, and they will show up and cover themselves in blood and lay on the streets or lay on the steps of the state capitol. I mean, that's how, that's how, uh, extreme they are on it. But Wilmar core from Davis temp made a statement to me, uh, just about a month ago when I was in Denver, and it's one of the most it's something I knew, but it, the way he put it together was very articulate and profound. He goes, we're trying to fight the wrong people. You know, we're, we're putting our efforts into fighting fighting the wrong people. We need to be concerned about the hearts and minds of those who may not or do not oppose us, but may vote against us. And that's at 80% of our population. That's where the battleground is, in that eighty percent. We've got to make sure that when we have a, a ballot initiative or a public opinion about about hunting, that that's favorable on our side. So that's the that's the dynamics behind what's going on. the The anti hunting public has been doing this for years. The hunting public has enjoyed more game species than we've ever had with the, you know, with the exception of upland game birds because every dnr wants to manage for deer and turkeys <laughs> um and they ignore the small game hunter and upland game hunter anymore but uh, that's a different topic too and i can say that from experience because i worked for 30 years as an indiana conservation <laughs> officer. i work for the dnr i know what the plan is okay yeah um but um what we're looking at is an onslaught on American freedom. And and one of the things that I've tried to to articulate in my podcast so many times is the people that are the proponents of these measures are left-wing. They, they use emotional sensationalism, uh, anthropomorphism, trying to give ant feelings to animals, human human behavior to animals, all of this different stuff. They're also the same people that want you to drive an electric car. Okay. They want you to drive an electric car because it's good for the environment. They support wind turbines in the West and they talk about the environmental uh, benefits to that, but they never talk about the diversion of natural aquifers. They never talk about the devastation to our migratory game bird populations. They never talk about the fact that it's not a renewable resource. So that gives you an idea of who we're dealing with here. And, and, when we're talking about initiative 91, it was filed in uh, and we're calling it the the we don't know what the final number is going to be in the state of Colorado. Right now it's 91. When it's all said and done and it goes on the ballot it could be initiative 43 it could be initiative 300 and some. But that initiative was proposed back in September and it was it went through the title board hearings and everything was approved to go on the ballot. CRWM, Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management, uh, fought that all the way through. They challenged it, the language. They got trophy hunting taken out of the language, um, and and now we're in we're in the process of the proponents gathering signatures, and they need two hundred and Dan, Dan Gates is hilarious. He's like, they they need two hundred and thirty six thousand four hundred and thirty eight. I don't know. They need about a quarter of a million votes, so uh, to get that on the ballot, and they're in that process right now. And it's it's important
0: to note that you know, especially on this podcast, you know, I've kind of been apolitical on everything over the years. You know, I I, I firmly believe that people come here to listen about dog training and hunting uh, more so than political anything, but it, yeah, there's better
1: people to talk about politics than me. Absolutely. And, you know, we all, (laughs) we all
0: have our own personal beliefs and values and, and what, whatnot, but at the end of the day, you know, I've tried to keep it as apolitical as I possibly can. But the, the fact of the matter is, is we're just kind of in a position now to where these efforts for the past few decades that have been kind of going under, um, they, they haven't been spoken about or highlighted in our community. They're now coming to the forefront and it's not just Colorado, it's other states such as Washington and, and, a, and a few others that if we don't curb what's happening, it is going to spread. And, and there are mm-hmm. instances and examples of this that I can uh, point to in my own home state of Tennessee, which as you said, you know, if, if you want to call this a left wing or right wing, whatever, Tennessee is not exactly a blue state, Right. And, and, you know, there's examples of this within Tennessee. And so like, I don't try, I I try not to just group it up into generalizations like that, but at the end of the day, you know, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, you know, it's not a camel. And
1: this is just simply knowing who your enemy, who, who the people are that are trying to come and take away your hunting freedoms. Right. And, And it's not, you can't align it with political party. You can't align it with anything. Because, you know, so I'm with you, you know, we're not trying to tell people how to vote, but in my experience, hunters, we just want to go out and hunt. We just want to be left alone. We just, you know, we know what the science is. We know that we've. Well, we know. I, I want to we correct know. you there. We know. You and I
0: know, but even so many people within our own community that hunt, they don't know. Uh, you know, it, it, it. And they don't care. And they don't There's care. A lot of because yeah. what you just said is us as hunters, I don't care if you're Democrat. I don't care if you're Republican. But when it comes mm-hmm. to hunting, at the end of the day, what you said is 100% correct. We just want to be left alone, and we want to mm-hmm. go hunt, and we want to enjoy our solitude, our time afield with our dogs, with our family, with our friends that goes against us when it comes to cultural issues. And stuff that, you know, we don't really want to engage because our natural instinct is to go out into the woods alone for quiet time. Right.
1: And so that's where I want to be. I'd rather be doing that (laughs) than talking to you on a podcast. Exactly.
0: Like, you know, it's nothing, nothing personal against you, but I'd rather be out there running my dogs than (laughs) talking to you right now. But at the end of the day, because our natural, you know, instincts have have kept us quiet for so long these the the other side, the antis, not the non-hunters, like you you distinguish at the start of this, they gained foot ground. And, and what they did is to to try and simplify or sum it up is they continued to push measures and bills through the legal prog- process, right? They're trying to go through the commissions. And ultimately, they knew that it w- they were going to fail. But every time they pushed something out there, they were promoting, and campaigning and marketing their their emotion. It, they're getting everybody yeah. emotionally lined up with them so that when it does fail, they have them and then they just go do another bill and push it through the commission. And then they got so big to where, to your point, now they need signatures and they've garnered all this support from all of their previous failed attempts to now they they are accomplishing what they were really after. Let's get this on the public ballot to where the mm-hmm. language can evoke an emotional response from the average voter who is uninformed. And like you said, 80 percent of people don't have a, a real, you know, skin in the game or preference one way or the other. They're just going to read like, oh, links. I haven't said se- I don't think it's fair for people to go shoot links when it's already outlawed. But by them having an emotional tie to voting for that saying like, yeah, I don't want a link shot or a mountain lion shot. There's right. all of this other stuff in that bill that's on the ballot, yeah. such as e-collars that that's what mm-hmm. really stood out to me on this is like, yep. uh, okay, wh- where you fall on mountain lions and Bobcats and links, you know, cats and it, there's a rich historic tradition and houndsmen, you know, it to me, like w- wherever you fall in that, if you're a dog person, if you're a bird dog person listening to this, they are trying to outlaw e collars under this initiative, and if that you, means
1: for your bird dog too,
0: right? And that, that to you, back to your point, you're a houndsman, I'm a bird dog guy. Let's do yep. away with hound. Let's do away with bird, and let's just say we're dog people. They are yep. outlawing tools that we utilize in our everyday lives and how we hunt because. They just don't want people hunting mountain lions and bobcats that goes directly in the face of science back management.
1: Yeah, I want to justify something and and give you some verification uh, on what a comment you made you know about the the anti-hunting public or the anti-hunting groups that chip away. we call it We call it death by a thousand cuts, okay But to verify and justify what you said. So this is their third attempt to come after lion hunting directly. In 2019, they tried to push, push it through the Natural Resources Commission in Colorado, and it failed. In 2022, they tried it with a Senate bill and it went to the Natural Resources Commission and it failed. So the third time around is let's take it to the uninformed voter, invoke the emotional response and see if we can get it through. So every time that they did that, not only they didn't care about failing as much as they cared about being able to gauge the public reaction that they got for future planning. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like, it's like artists, it's like art of war with Sun Tzu. These people know what they're doing and they're willing to spend their money to find out and they're willing to, you know, float something out there and spend a little bit of money on it just to see, okay, all right, so 2019, we had, a, we had this much public support. 2022, we had this much. Okay, it's time. It's time for the ballot initiative, because we can't get the government to go along, the government's going to do what's safe for that, you know, for them at the time, and try to, you know, we know how that works. But uh, now they're going to put it in ballot in the ballot, and let's use w- inflammatory wording like trophy hunting, because even hunters can't agree or can't define what actual trophy hunting is, and and so you can't expect. The non hunting public to understand what that actually means. And then we'll use other inflammatory language like the trophy hunting of bobcats, mountain lions, and lynx. And people are like, oh, wait a minute. I thought I saw lynx on the endangered species list. So obviously they can't say, well, we support the lions and bobcats, but we don't support the lynx. It's either a yes or no. So it's very strategic.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, 100%. And you bring up a good point to where even within our own hunting community, we can't even agree on really the terminology of trophy hunting. I mean, me, you and I are talking, if people are watching this on YouTube, I got trophies behind me, right? Mm-hmm. Everything, it, you know, when I shoot, I, I try and take a something to remember that hunt or that moment with. That's technically a trophy, but that yeah. that gets lumped in something as simple as me just mounting a bird on the wall that gets mm-hmm. that gets lumped in to the guys that go to africa and just you know kill a big giraffe and that's that's what these People are using as look at this, this Dennis that killed what, what was it a lion or something a few years Leo ago? Leo the lion. Leo the lion. And, and there's you, you yeah. know yeah, the the three legged bear up in New Jersey a few years ago. Like there, there's all kinds of examples that you can use for this. But at the end of the day, they are smart and they are strategic. And in the past couple months, yeah. like I like I said, I've tried to remain apolitical and I still am apolitical when it comes to this. But I've been a little bit more outspoken on my platform these past couple months to where I think that we need to start talking about these cultural issues and these, these cultural divides, because the public perception and how people view hunters, in my opinion, are declining much faster and more rapidly than what most people seem to be concerned about in our space, which is selling more hunting licenses. And, and I think that we need to be focused more on appealing to those non hunters, the people that don't really have the, have the emotional input or care to, we need to start reaching them with our messages and explaining to them that like, what we do is backed by science. There's a, a, a reason why we do this and why it's acceptable so that they are going into these voting booths at least a little bit more informed. But when right. we stick within our own little echo chamber and we stick within our own little corners and us as hunters suck at this, and that's why you and I are talking about this <laughs> is like, you know, you houndsmen stick over there, us bird dog guys over here, squirrel hunters are over there. Oh, you yeah. know, Deer hunters are over there. We're all spread out. Meanwhile, the opposite side can get together and pool their money and resources and initiate a decades long process, which we are now seeing in Colorado. And if we don't, if we see this actually go through in Colorado, it's going to happen in the other states. The playbook is written, right? people They can watch and be like, oh, we finally got them to where not only can you not hunt mountain lions and bobcats, but now guys hunting anything can't even
1: use their e-collars. Exactly. You know, the playbook started being written back in the 1970s with a, with a, um, he was a, uh, influencer in the seventies out of Britain and he put together a, a documentary video called winds of November, I think is what it was called. And that started planting the seed of, The anti-hunting movement as we know it today and then Colorado has been successful on banning you know lion hunting they're killing more lions now in Colorado or in California than they ever did while they were hunting Mm -hmm. it's just the government's doing it for them now Oregon Washington so it's following this pattern so they waited until what they thought was fertile ground in Colorado and to understand and and some of your listeners will be able to relate to this because there are other places that are seeing this groundswell of population dynamics in their own you go to go to Boise go to Kalispell Montana go to Missoula Montana you go to uh, Bozeman Montana go to Cheyenne Wyoming uh, you go to Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, all these places. I mean, New Mexico is a legendary place to go bird hunt, but if you go to Taos or Albuquerque or Santa Fe, then what they've seen is this huge population growth from people who were trying to escape the West coast and that mentality and they come, but they come with their politics. Um, And most of them, the politics, they didn't agree with those local politics, but they don't have any understanding of what wildlife management really is. And so they bring that and they don't understand it. So they rely on their experience from what they grew up with in California or Oregon or wherever. And then they don't understand water rights. They don't understand riparian zones. They don't understand wetlands. They don't understand any of this stuff. All they understand is Why would anybody want to shoot a duck? Why would anybody want to shoot this? I don't agree with that. And that's how you end up. While they might stand with you on a lot of other issues, that's one place that they don't understand it.
0: Yeah. You know, I've been saying, unfortunately, us as hunters and outdoorsmen, we have the burden of having to explain this to people. Mm -hmm. Whereas the uh, opposite side, they have the emotional appeal. They also have decades and generations long, uh, content from I mean if you go back you know my my daughter she just turned 3 so now I'm going back and we're watching some of the fun like movies sure. and cartoons that I grew up on that I I remember fondly right it, yeah. I think back on it I'm like oh yeah you know fox and the hound the disney movie like I love that grown up let's throw that in and watch it Go watch some of that stuff. (laughs) Go, I mean, seriously, like when you're an adult, go, go watch some of this stuff. Even if you don't have a kid, it is amazing at how hunters have been portrayed. And this isn't just within the past decade. This is, I mean, I think Fox and the Hounds was like in the 60s or 70s or something like that the hunters are portrayed well, not as long good, Nick. It was, it
1: was, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's like
0: it, it was portrayed. Hunters are portrayed as just knuckle draggers that just like to kill stuff. And, yeah. and I mean, when you're grown up on that generations have like, it's going to invoke a certain level of emotional sure. response. And so, you know, when you start factoring all that stuff in is it really doesn't take that long for a movement to catch on. It doesn't even take that long of a splash, really, when you factor in. I mean, again, let's look at Colorado recently this past year. They released wolves back on the landscape, right? I think when that was voted on, I think it was voted on only by like, what was it, like
1: 1.4% of Coloradans? Yeah, it was less than 2%. It was 49 to... No, it was a little over... Yeah, it was less than 2%. It was like 49.6 to 51.2. And this is what was shocking to me is there's a couple
0: aspects of the wolf measure in Colorado. A I didn't hear much about it until after it passed. So that, that was kind of a failure of outreach from, you know, whoever, but in the process, when it was passed by the time it passed, by the time they released wolves, wolves naturally entered the state on their own accord. There was no, there was no reason to, to introduce them. And so, you know, back to our point about the science-backed management is I'm not going to sit here and say the non-hunter that goes in the booth and votes on it. They're not doing it with bad intentions or out of maliciousness. They truly are ignorant to other alternatives or why we do what we do or why it's backed by science. But, but, you know, even the science-backed terminology that can be tricky when you live in a post-covid era where a lot of people don't trust science uh, at all anyway that.
1: yeah science was weaponized during COVID. Yep. you know 100 it was weaponized by all kind our culture mm-hmm. um but trying to st- i'm trying to be apolitical here. <laughs> uh, so now you've got A divide in science and when you say science-based wildlife management then the only thing people hear is science and all we know post-covid is science is evil if you're if you're um you know in that camp Mm -hmm. both sides i think will say they don't trust science anymore yeah but the the solution to this nick is for us as hunters We have to understand and take back control of this narrative. And that includes you being able to sit at the, you know, in a couple months here we'll have Easter coming up and we have family gatherings and you get together at grandma's house and you have ham and you you go to the Easter egg hunt and all that kind of stuff. There are going to be people at that party in your own family who have no clue what's going on with hunting and they're going to see your GDIY hat or your Houndsman XP hat or your whatever brand, you know, shirt that, and they're going to identify you as a hunter. And more and more people are showing up at these, these types of family functions and being accused and villainized for being a hunter. So it's our obligation as hunters. And I always lay it out like this, in 1887, Berg and Teddy Roosevelt saw that there was a problem with wildlife populations on the North American continent. And they started working towards this conservation model to restore wildlife populations. That was how, I'm not going to do the math on it, but what is that? 100, almost 150, over 150 years ago that this movement started from hunters. Hunters started this. They got support for it. it. It eventually turned into things like the Pittman-Robertson Act where hunters stepped up and said, yes, tax us for guns and ammunition and outdoor equipment, and and we will pay the bill to restore this. And then you had uh, the Dingle-Johnson Act, which said the fishermen stepped in. They said the same thing. Yes, tax us on fishing equipment. And then we passed the duck stamp where we saw waterfowl. So- for 150 years you as a hunter have shouldered this burden for wildlife success in our country and we've gone out generation after generation and we've celebrated that success and we we've, we've held up you know the shotgun and and the clutch of birds and said yes you know we're hunters we did this what we didn't do was stay engaged with the changing landscape and the political weaponization just like science behind this wildlife movement around this animal rights movement so i tell people this this is our heritage this is my legacy and your legacy and this is our generation what are we going to pass on to our kids if we don't start understanding science-based wildlife management if we don't understand how to talk about hunting and why we hunt And yes, I I brought up my great-grandfather and my grandfather and my dad, and those are all good stories, but nobody cares about your history. We're tearing down statues around the country trying to erase history. And nobody cares. There's people that don't even realize there's only 50 states in the United States. They think, you know, they have no clue, so they don't care. So we've got to find those talking points to explain. And the anti-hunting public has done it with emotion and passion, and we've got to restore that same thing. You know, we've got to be able to be passionate and say, this is my legacy. I built this, my dollars have supported this. You wouldn't get to go to Rocky mountain national park and CNL one for hunting dollars and be able to tell them why you've got to be able to say, Hey, yeah, that's a great picture of a ring pheasant on your Facebook post. That was paid for by hunters dollars. Um, We've got to engage at every level and get this message out there. A thousand percent. You know, it's, uh, I,
0: I can mirror so much of what you're talking about. I mean, even from the standpoint I've been, I've, again, I've been recently talking about people ask, what can they do? What can they do? Engage mm-hmm. in the conversation. No longer don't just wave people off. Like, ah oh, they just don't get it. They'll never get They're it. They're crazy. They're crazy engage in the conversation civilly don't just you know oh you know anti-hunter or whatever no educate them actually explain that that means that you have to be educated yourself and so when we start throwing out you know Pittman, robertson dingle johnson all all of the this information retain that so that you can throw it back at other people but it is it is interesting you know you bring up the family dynamics is like every hunter within their own within their own families have
1: these anti hunters that will just throw that at them, and it's they're hammered by it every day. I mean, you've got that niece or that nephew who goes to public schools, or or you know they're they're following different things on social media. They've watched the fox and the hound. They they sided with the fox instead of the hound. Whatever, <laughs> you know, you know, um, but um, they just get our our generation especially our youngest generations have been hammered with this kind of culture. When I was a kid, you know, we would we would go hunting on Thanksgiving. You know, it was a family tradition. There were hunters sitting around the table. Even if you weren't a hunter, you know, you borrowed a shotgun from from the person that was hosting dinner that day, mm-hmm. and everybody walked out into the field to try to bag a rabbit or something, you know. And and that's just not happening anymore. Well, it- there's a very Go ahead. I was just going to say, so like, I mean,
0: again, for, for so long, for years, I've tried to just, let's talk about dogs and training. What, what really woke me up is like, I was all, I I, I knew about this. I was active in it, but I was real quiet about it. Right. Like I didn't want to bring it on the show and make this about, you know, a movement or sensationalism or whatever, but that changed when just a couple months ago, again, I have a young daughter. She had a sli- her first sleepover. Her friend came over, a little six-year-old, sweet little girl. She's around here all the time. They're having their first sleepover. She walks in our door, and I have a couple shed antlers on, on the dinner table with you know a couple pheasant feathers, looks nice, whatever. Uh, yeah. She saw that, looked me dead in the eye, and told me I was evil little six-year-old girl tell, telling a, an adult that they're evil. And, and you know, obviously I'm not, you know, I I just threw her out of the house and said, don't ever come back. No, like I, I, I
1: looked at her. You and missed like, an opportunity, man.
0: <laughs> well, right? <laughs> and I just looked at her. I was like, well, you know, why would you say that? Well, you killed that deer. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to explain to her a shed antler, but I'm just like, well, you know, where right. did you learn this? Oh, school. Okay, like, is this for coming from other kids? No, no, the teachers, and and right. so when people, when I when people get frustrated and tell me that when I I'm coming at this from a cultural discussion or standpoint or big picture lens, I tell them like, the other side have, they are in our schools, they are teaching our kids, they are on the school boards, they are in the government office, they are going into these game commissions, and they have infiltrated every level of influence that they can have meanwhile we still just want to be left alone and go hunting and that's yep. what that's really what woke me up is not to be that alarmist you know cr- you know that guy on facebook like they're in our schools they're getting our kids but right. you you can't turn your nose up at it anymore i mean it's i live in a small town in middle tennessee and a six-year-old girl just did that, and and that really just kind of punched me in the gut, and it was a wake-up call. Like we all, as hunters, need to be using whatever influence or 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 voice that we have to start trying to bring hunters back together. Let's get each other out of our individual camps and let's start talking about this big picture, just like the anti-hunters do. We need to come together and really start talking about this because we are in danger. Of losing this, especially if we just keep trying to sit on our hands saying, "Well, they're not coming after my birds yet,
1: right, right. you know john John Maxwell, leadership author, you know, runs the Maxwell Institute and all that stuff. He has written numerous books, and one of the things that he talks about leadership, even the most introverted person will have contact with about twenty thousand people in their lives. And at that point in time when you're called to be a leader, it's going to be up to you. So lead from where you are. When you're standing there at the grocery store or wherever, and somebody confronts you about hunting or needs an explanation about hunting, you can't just, you can't just push the pause button and say, oh, let me get the. Let me get the uh, state wildlife biologist on the phone and they can explain it to you. You can't <laughs> right. say, hey, I belong to pheasants forever. And the president, I know him, and you can talk to him about this. We have got to be able to cover the bare bones basics of who we are and what we do. And do it in a way that's unashamed. Be proud of who we are. Tell our story. And, and not in a boastful or braggadocious way but, but in a way that they can understand it, you know, some people are just going to want to pick a fight. I get it. Walk away. But we've got to be able, when we've got the opportunity, we've got this relationship established with a brother-in-law who lives in a suburb somewhere and drinks mushroom coffee with his buddies at the wherever, (laughs) you know, and he's got this opinion you know, you've got to be able to articulate our side. That's your call. That's that's your duty. You've been handed this legacy that's lasted 150 years, the greatest wildlife success story in the history of the world. And it's your time. It's your time to stand up and defend it. Because if we don't, it's going to be taken away through all these other forces that are working against us. Yeah, And I would much rather, I'm with you, Nick, I'd much rather go talk to this old timer, which I'm starting to look like one myself, you know, that's been in hounds for 60 years and, and he's done all this stuff and he tells great stories and, and, you know, I love to be entertained just like anybody else. But if we don't figure this out, if we don't get in front of this, if we don't start making our stand now, all we are going to have is the stories. Yep. That's all we're going to have left because you won't be able to turn your bird dog loose. I'm not going to be able to turn a hound loose. We're not even going to be able to, you know, pack a gun into the field mm-hmm. because, you know, it's going to be taken away. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely.
0: And you know, you 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 brought up a couple of the organizations, and I think a lot of people. I have been vocal for years now of you giving thirty five dollars a year to a fill in the blank organization, pheasants forever, quail forever, RGS. Rocky Mountain, whoever, fill in the blank, it doesn't matter, whichever. One thing that Dan said on your podcast that truly resonated with me, and and it put something into terms that I've been trying to figure out how to word, but I haven't been able to, is these organizations, they are they, they are habitat organizations. They are built to mm-hmm. sustain us. They are not built to fight for us. Right, And by decades and generations of these organizations doing some quality work, I'm not belittling any of the cuts that RGS has done. I'm not belittling any of the programs that Pheasants Forever have done. They have produced positive impacts on the landscape. But those right. organizations are not the organizations to move the needle in the big picture in the grand scheme of things because their mission exactly. is not aligned with what we need. You know, and, and I've been saying for a while, if your money is going to these organizations and you think that that is going to make a groundswell for hunter support and move and gain access and gain permissions and gain those freedoms, you're wrong. It's not, and if you need proof, just look out there, and they've been around for g- generations. What's happening? We're slowly losing access. We're slowly losing huntable populations. We're slowly losing private landowners enrolling in hunting access programs. Right. It's We're losing it by attrition anyway because they are only there to sustain us, but right now the culture is moving on without us. Right. And so I think what? it's imperative for people to really start paying attention. And if your money's going to somebody or an organization that they don't have some kind of political lobbyist or some kind of mission that not only tries to protect what we have, but regain what we've lost, then you need to start thinking about where else to put your money.
1: Uh, you know, the, the part of that, I agree with a lot of what you said. And this is going to be the optimistic part for me because I'm not by nature an optimist either. I'm very skeptical. <laughs> right. I'm very. Uh, you can tell by listening. I worked for the government for for thirty years, and 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 I'm anti-government to, in a lot of in a lot of ways. All right, um, Ron Swanson. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a separatist. You know, I'm, I do have my industrial strength tinfoil hat over there on the counter. I didn't work for your podcast, gotcha. when I you said you're going to video, but as soon as this is over, it's going back on um but the the thing that these groups have done is they have given hunters a sense of an of identity exactly you know i want to put my uh rocky mountain elk foundation sticker on my truck i want to wear that hat when i go to you know the new hunting show to show my support i'm part of the team i we get that you know but if these organizations are a 501c3 in theory and according to the irs they cannot dedicate more than 20 percent of their gross receipts to political action movements so if you donate ten dollars to whatever alphabet soup conservation group if they're a 501c3 they can only take two and put that towards a political action move a 501c4 like coloradans for responsible wildlife management has the ability, and I'm no accountant, and I'm not a tax lawyer, but they can be involved in political action. What we're seeing from places, some of these groups, I'm not going to call anybody out, I don't want to get it wrong, is they're starting to form foundations and things that are classified as 501c4 so they can put more money in this. So they're getting on board. The optimistic part of this that I want to talk about is with this initiative in Colorado, I mean, I've, I've testified in resources commission meetings, natural resources commission meetings. I've been a fly on the wall. I've been assigned there. You know, if it, they thought it was going to get out of hand, you know, they bring the, you know, the guys in the green suits and the guns and we stand around the room to keep order, you know, <laughs> uh, or stand in the back. Yep. But um, so I've been a fly on the wall of a lot of these, and I've never seen a groundswell of support like i'm seeing to oppose this initiative in colorado and that is because of the work that dan gates has masterfully done over the course of the last 15 or 20 years to to unite all of these different groups you've got elk hunters sheep hunters deer hunters houndsmen trappers all these different segments coming together and uniting on this issue, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, you know they're seeing the bigger picture, and and I want your audience to understand that this is an important point. While lion hunting and bobcat hunting is on the block, and houndsmen are going to be uh, affected by this, we're just casual. We will just be a casualty in a bigger war that is going on. Um, it's, it's, uh, what this thing is, is a departure from science-based wildlife management. They're trying to wrestle that away from us. They can't argue with the science. They can't argue with them. You can't, they can't argue with the amount of dollars that hunters have put into wildlife management since, you know, the 1930s. It's billions and billions of dollars, far more than, than any person that, that drives a Subaru and donates their money to ASPCA you know at the sale of that that car it's it's way beyond that and so while maybe some of these organizations have been unable to do that in the past right now I'm seeing them step up and do everything that they possibly can because they know what the real big picture is here and it's not just houndsmen it's not just mountain lions it's not just bobcats it is going to be a game plan to incrementally death by a thousand cuts, run through the whole gamut of, of the hunting public and take that away from us.
0: Mm-hmm. And it, it's good to hear that the groundswell is happening because, again, yep. you know, optimism is not not exactly my first instinct uh, because, you know, I, I it's too easy to just see the bad. Right. You know, I, right. I, I've been harping on this, you know, uh, the Forest Service USDA executive order on, on Old Growth Forest and how nobody within our space spoke out against it. Nobody, right. none of these nonprofits that have taken, you know, they're more than willing to come to us with their hands out, but they're not willing to fight for us again. And and I understand that they can't really do A political campaign against something like that, but I still think that they need to do their part and get the message out, kind of what we're talking about. We need to engage in these conversations. But at the end of the day, as I always start off with, what can you do yourself? What can the individual hunter do? Stop looking to organizations to do something for you. Show up, make your voice heard, and and take the fight to them. And something else that Dan talked about is even though that you guys had have a current groundswell. Now that last Senate bill that went through while y'all had a lot of people show up to fight for that. Only a third still showed up because it snowed that day. And what do, right. what do lion hunters do? What do houndsmen do when it snows? They go hunting. And so right. even with, when something it is that detrimental potentially to what you love to do, us as hunters still selfishly will forego, you know, doing the big needle mover to go do what we love to do. Right. And, and so I've been to public meetings and community meetings. I've been the fly on the wall. I've spoken on public comment. I've done all that stuff too. And I've been to a number of them. Hunters don't show up until it's a reactionary thing. You know, there's a chance to show up sometimes to these fights and you can get it knocked out before it even really turns into a fight. But they don't ever show up until it is really like it's on the chopping block. And I think we it's human nature back to what we talked about at the start of this. Our first instinct is to not engage. And I just think that we as a community have to get out of that mindset and we have to start engaging and be
1: proactive instead of just reacting. Yeah, there was a recent study came out from one of the hunting organizations. Only 26% of hunters are even registered to vote. 26%. Mm. So you take that 20%, 26% that are registered, how many actually show up? Right. You know, so, so you can start right there and have the conversation forward from that. But you can't expect to re- be represented, man. I'm, I can I. It sounds like I'm, you know, I'm leading the charge here, or I'm so passionate about it, and I do spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. But I go back to the fact that I'm just like you. I just want to hunt. But if we don't make the stand if, if somebody doesn't speak up, if somebody doesn't use the platform they've been given to be the voice and try to ignite the base, then who's gonna do it, you know? So for me, you know, I've got a platform, I can do it. Of course, Chris ought to be doing that, and I should be. My challenge to every hunter out there is that you've been given a voice and you've been given a platform as well. Maybe it's within six guys you work with, maybe it's at the, the um, you know, the the gymnastics class, that you're taking your daughter to next week, you're the one. They, people don't see, they see uh, um, an orange hat and they say hunter. They see a logo on a, on a shirt and they identify you as a hunter. That is your platform. If you're going to wear the team colors, you got to be a part of the team. And it's time that we have those people stepping up to do their job. We're not all going to be Tom Brady, but we need kick returners too. We need the guy that 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 runs out on the field with a water bottle at timeout. We don't care. Just be a part of the team. If you're going to wear the colors, be a part of the team.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and what's interesting is you have a platform, I have a platform, and to kind of – Tie everybody, or tie this subject into my platform. I have a lot of listeners that I hear from on a regular basis, that they come to me just for dog training content. Yeah, they're not even yeah. hunters, right? They're just dog people, and there's quality dog training information, so they'll tune in, and I hear from them. And so, just doing this show, just doing content, naturally, they're going to just absorb some of this me- messaging and some of this information just by listening to some of the episodes that I do that aren't a hundred percent focused on hunting. It gets them in the door. And one thing that is I've, I've engaged in conversations with them is they'll even say like, well, I was hesitant to check you out just because of the name, you know, gun dog it yourself. Like, you know, it, but they, they hit play. And once the information and the content comes at them, they're like, oh, this is actually useful, practical information. And then you get them in the door. You can start talking about the other stuff, but you can't just meet them at the door and be like, let me start talking to you about hunting, hunting recruitment. Right. Like, you know, you, you have to talk to them like they are human beings. Right. That to your point, they just maybe weren't brought up in a hunting environment or or maybe they don't see the purpose of it or point of it uh quite
1: like we do you know you have can to you, can you I have tell you a story related to that yeah absolutely so and i didn't mean to interrupt you just uh, it's timely and um we were in an uber in denver colorado <clears throat> we got picked up in a subaru forester this is a young lady probably in her mid-20s she's wearing a little knit toboggan thing had the whole nose ring thing going on and black fingernails. she had it she had it all going on right and so we're riding in this uber to the event and she asked the question what are you guys in town for uh-oh <laughs> the guy in the front the guy in the front is is my uh, the guy that does video for us he and he was like oh boy here we go by the time we got to the event she was and this is just being prepared to talk knowing what your message is being able to speak about it confidently by the time we get to the event she's like why wouldn't you want to manage wildlife based on science if you've got the data if you've got all the information i don't know anything about mountain lion population dynamics and habitat improvement and, and and all that stuff she was relating all this stuff back to me so don't ever give up or think that that you can't have an impact. She's got Facebook friends. She's got friends that follow her on TikTok or wherever. And she's going to be able to relate a story to them about an old fat hillbilly from Indiana that sat in her Uber and convinced her or talked to her reasonably about why it's important that we do science-based wildlife management. Yep. It could have been anybody. It could have been, that could have been any person that was just picked up the Uber that day. Yep. So, you know, Bobby, Bobby Knight, legendary basketball coach made the statement, you know, there is no such thing as luck. Luck is where preparation and opportunity intersect. Yep. You know, and so you can say I got lucky or we got lucky by having me in the Uber to talk to this girl, but any one of us can do it. Yep. And we need to be prepared to do it. Yep. Spoken like a true
0: Hoosier there. Uh, exactly. <laughs> but you, you you raise an interesting point because, you know, we have to meet the people where they are. And like we said, we, we aren't the type of people that really go out. So if you just happen to be in an Uber, happen to be in an elevator. I told the story recently of me being in a grocery store up in the UP of Michigan. You know, yeah. t- take those opportunities because I think, you know, not to make this a vocabulary lesson, but I think the word ignorant gets thrown around a lot. And I think a lot of people assume that ignorance means stupid and it doesn't ignorance means they're uninformed. So you might be in that Uber and that driver may be completely ignorant to science back management and hunting. Well, it is your job to inform them. Now, if they, if you do it and, and they don't change, they, you know, they, they don't absorb it, they fight it, whatever. Well, they're no longer ignorant. Then they're either stupid or stubborn, right? Uh, but that, right. but that is our burden. We have to share this information with them because they aren't hearing it anywhere else. They're actually hearing the exact opposite. And you can make this argument for any kind of important matter in the entire world. This isn't just hunting, is. If you truly believe in something, and like you said, you're going to wear the team colors, then you have to participate in team activities. And this is what it's going to take because our team members, our houndsmen, our dog people, they're in Colorado. They need our help, right? Right. We have to do this. And one thing, Dan Gates, back to the optimism, after listening to your episode with Dan, I came away feeling a bit more optimistic because just like the other side has developed the game plan to try and take hunting and e-collars out of the equation, Dan is creating the game plan with that 501c4 approach you just spoke about to where we can combat and fight them. And like you said, we don't only want to beat them and just quiet the storm down. We want to annihilate them so that they stop trying. Let's embarrass them to where they say, you know what, maybe us throwing $60 million at this, like, do we really care that much? Because at the end of the day, they don't have science and facts on their side. So uh, all they have are their emotions. That's it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I got a question for you. What do you, as podcasters, we track things like downloads and, and charitable rankings and stuff like this. So, what do you predict are gonna to happen to your downloads with this episode compared to legendary superstar so-and-so bird dog trainer that you're gonna feature <laughs> on your podcast?
0: Oh, it'll it'll easily drop, you know, yeah 20 to 40 percent somewhere in there. It'll drop. Right. People right. won't even hit play, they won't even give it a shot very often. Usually the people that hit play, they'll give it a shot. And listen to it all the way through. But we need the people that do hit play and to consume it, to share it, to hit up their buddy that they know listens to the podcast. Be like, hey, did you hear that conversation between Nick and Chris? You know, we need we need to actually share these messages and episodes, whether that's on social media, text message, word of mouth, share it. And, you know, this isn't this isn't coming from a standpoint of you and I getting download numbers and impressions and and whatever, all that junk, all that business junk. We truly believe that the message is out there. And, And and to prove that I'll just demonetize this episode
1: and not put ads in it. Hmm. Interesting. Well, the reason I brought that up, you know, we've talked about being apolitical and our desire to be apolitical. If somebody's gonna wanna hear about politics, then Tucker Carlson, Dan Bongino, you know, there's tons of people out there that can do politics way better than me. But how many of those places can you go to to find out something about this type of a topic? That doesn't make the front page of the New York Times. You know, we are not gonna be there. So we have to use these platforms so that we get that message out to people who say that hunting is one of the most important things in their life you know i hear it all the time it's like you know i even see people putting their hunting before their family at times you know but we all like to we all like to say man hunting is my life hunting is all this but as soon as we start touching on this top these topics like this it's like man, I really wish he would have played that episode about old blue running a coon up the holler and, and, you know, from so-and-so and, and and yeah, I would rather do it too. But if we don't talk about this on these platforms, you're not going to be able to hear about the facts anywhere else. Yep. A hundred percent. And, and, uh, the conservation
0: topics, you know, you have, you have your hardcore true bloods that just love, the conversation. They love the conservation mm-hmm. stuff. They right. want to get involved, but the average person, they just don't want to hear it, but they will be more than happy to consume what what it provides them. Right. They will. Oh, sure. and, and, and it's not a knock against them. Trust me. Like you said, I would much rather be out there doing it than talking about it. I mean, that's just yep. who we are, but you and I, you know, we're doing what we can with this stuff. and, And you know we're trying to make a difference, and so you know anybody that wants to give you know podcasters or influencers a a bad rap because it's like oh all they want to do is is get numbers and become famous, however famous they think we can get with this thing. It's like, no, we actually want to make a difference. We want to help people. We want people out there hunting and training with their dogs. We want people to be successful. Uh, But to do that, you have to have the resource and the access and ability to do that. And I'm sorry, I've, you know, I get... I've spoken on my podcast a number of times about how I would like to go do fun runs or even small, quick hunts safely without tracking collars on my dogs. I'll get people to write in and say, I'm being irresponsible as a dog owner by doing that. Meanwhile, you have legislation that could kickstart the entire e-collar ban debate in this country, just like the UK banned it over there. And people won't even hit play to talk about it or listen to it.
1: Yeah. For sure. You know, it, it's just, it's, we don't like using this much bandwidth to talk about it either. You know, um, we've got to be able to, we've got to figure out what it's going to take to ignite these bases. We, we're powerful and we've, we've got people who are passionate about what they do, just as passionate as the other side has. We just, we've just got to get to the point where, it becomes important. You know, we have been handed, the the reason I get so passionate about it is because I feel like it's a sense of loyalty. You know, I've inherited this great legacy of wildlife success and, and that was paid for just like our greatest generation. That was the golden age of conservation movement was in the 19 late 1940s, early 50s. You had all these veterans coming back from World War II who did who were on gone for three and four years, and they they bonded and they saw the value of these bonds, these fraternal bonds among like-minded people. And and so you had these explosions of these social clubs like the moose and the elks and the you know, the VFWs and, and even the conservation clubs at the time because men still wanted that fraternal bond. Well, over time that has lost some of its zeal. Nobody goes around and kicks World War II veterans in the teeth and says, ah, oh, what you did wasn't important.
0: <laughs> right. It wasn't
1: important. That's what this hinges on. It's it's I feel like if I don't, then I might as well just get rid of all my junk. I I mean I've got way too much money tied in it, up in it. My wife would, you know, I could take her on a on a Bahamas cruise every year and and schedule vacation times around Cancun all resort all inclusive resorts She would be happier. I would be ha- you know, I wouldn't be as happy. That wouldn't be true. Um but we have to figure out and prioritize. This is the this is the work part. You know, I had a boss one time It's like, do you have fun with your job? Yeah, most of the time. He goes, well, this thing that I'm getting ready to do is what you have to pay for to be able to go have fun Mm -hmm. with your job. You know, that's what it boils down to. We have to put in work if we're going to continue to enjoy it.
0: Everything good comes on the back of bad. I I mean, truly, if you really think about it, if if we hope to have this and we inherited it, it's our job to pass it on. Right. And, yep. w- and we can have issues, we can have our gripes with maybe the shape that it was in and, and how we inherited it, but at the end of the day, it was still something we inherited it. So mm-hmm. do we want to continue to allow something to decline and get worse for us to pass it on to our kids and our grandkids, or do we actually want to improve it and then pass something that was better after we received it? to our future generations. And, you know, I hate talking about this stuff. I do like, I truly do not want to talk about this. I don't want to go to these community meetings, but you know what? Like, I also hate the fact that like you said, I don't feel like anybody else is going to do it. And, and, you know, I've dealt with some of these organizations that everybody puts all their stock into behind the scenes. If I told them some of the stories and conversations and commitments I've received from some of these organizations, that don't follow through or even attempt to follow through, I think it would be eye-opening. But to your point, like, I don't want to start calling out names, and I also don't want to further divide the community than what it really is. So it's a balancing act is we can come on here and hop on our soapboxes and preach about this stuff. But at the end of the day, like, we also have to tread a fine line because we could further the divide if we're not careful and approach this in the correct way. And, And it's a constant balancing act. And, and it's not lost on me that, you know, I could come on here and air a lot of dirty laundry. I could,
1: but at the end of the day, does that really help what we're trying to do? No, we're just driving wedges at that point. You know, talking about inheritance, I always try to find metaphors and this is one I've been developing for a while about this sort of an issue. You know, you're talking about inheritances. I've got a clock on the mantle of my fireplace and the story is that it was originally brought here when my family landed in Virginia in uh, the early 1800s. And it's, I inherited that. It's obviously it's valuable to me. But if I wouldn't allow somebody to walk in my house and steal it right in front of me mm-hmm. for sure. And yet that's what's happening in the hunting community right now. These people are stealing it from us, the things we've inherited, right in front of us. And you wouldn't, there isn't a person that listens to your podcast that would sit in the recliner, see some stranger walk into their house, take the clock off the mantle and walk out and not stop flipping through the channel or scrolling through their TikTok. And hunting, while that clock is important to me, if it disappeared, I'd find something else to put into place in its place. You take hunting away from me. That's not just something I do. That is my life. That is my lifestyle. It's something that I identify with something that I enjoy, something that I share with other people It's something that I've dedicated my whole life to. I put on a bulletproof vest every day and carried a gun to go to work for this. And and it doesn't take that. And I'm not trying to say I've got more commitment than anybody else, but that's how important it has been to me. And it's just as important to you as I look around, behind you there nick and your backdrop you've got memories you've got relationships you've got you've got your family identity all built around this thing and people are trying to break in your house and steal it right in front of you and there's too many of us that won't put the remote down long enough or complain because they're blocking the view of the football game to you know hurry up and get the clock and get out of here so i can watch this football game. (laughs) right you know nobody's willing to do that And this means so much more to us. Yeah. I get wound up about it. And I do
0: too. And I tell everybody, you know, anytime I start getting preachy and getting on my soapbox, I always have. Surprisingly, it's almost unanimously positive people that reach out and just say, oh, you know, I love it. You know, why don't you do more on that? And it's like, because that's not what this platform was. My show was not for me to come and be a political activist of, of some sort. Right. I do this Mm -hmm. because it, it directly impacts what it is that we try to do and love to do. And so it definitely plays a part, but you know, I get, I get too passionate about it. It's easy for me to get on that soapbox and just, you know, just, repeat myself till I'm blue in the face and people are sick of, you know, they're tearing their ears out of their heads because they don't want to listen to it anymore. But at the end of the day, we do need to have these conversations more often and louder and more productive. And, and that's not just within ourselves, but again, outreach, but we have to fix our house first. You know, we can't, yep. we can't fix other people's houses. We can't go to the antis and, and combat them when we can't even agree on what it is that we like to do within our own thing. You, you mentioned at the very start of this that these game commissions and agencies only care about deer and turkey. I would say take the turkey out of it. Turkeys are declining. The facts and the science behind turkeys show that how to manage for them directly impact the upland birds. Right. So really, if you think about it, these states and agencies don't care about turkeys either. They care about deer. That's it. They care about the money that it brings in. Exactly. And, you know, (laughs) if if you don't believe that, if you you really don't agree with that, I just want to ask a question is why are all these states paying certain groups such as the hunting public to come into their state? And instead of using their lens and their reach and their aperture to bring awareness to habitat management issues, Use. Instead, they're doing commercials for the states talking about buying hunting licenses. You could use their reach and their aperture to bring awareness to stuff that actually matters, that will actually improve wildlife. Instead, it's spent on selling hunting licenses, which puts money back in certain people's pockets. And don't get me wrong, money's important. We're about to get to that here in a second for Colorado with yep. what people can do. Money makes the world go around. But also, I'm a firm believer in the allocation of the money is even arguably more important than just raising the money to begin with. How is that money being spent? And in my opinion, just dumping a lot of money into all these organizations that just continue to preach more and more and more and more. I have to ask, when these organizations come to you, go look at what they're posting, what they're sending out on their emails. Have you seen anything from them besides them coming to you with their handout? You don't. You don't see anything. All you see are posts and emails saying, come donate, come donate, come donate. They never address anything culturally speaking. Come get involved here. Go make your voices heard. All it is is, hey... You want birds on the landscape? Come give us money.
1: Yep. It's like the old joke about the preacher, you know, finishing up. He gets everybody all fired up. And, you know, he's like, let me hear you scream. Let me see you shout. Let me see you turn your pockets inside <laughs> The Holy <out>. Ghost. <laughs> yep. Yep. Let me see you turn those pockets inside out. Yep.
0: And it, I, it. I hate having to get on that soapbox. And to your point, you know, I'm, I, I can get passionate and revved up. And I, and I think that's why, you know, it, the The reason why we connected was I listened to a random episode you did at the start of the year and, and you kind of it, it connected with me and I reached out and turns out that you had listened to me a few times and and it's yeah. you know it's just like obviously you know we, we were meant to talk about this and 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 right. rev each other up but uh you know I would argue that we need more of this passion and not less of it mhm I agree. I agree. So where can people go? You know, you mentioned Dan Gates and Colorado's for uh, responsible wildlife management. They are the, they are the main ones leading this fight. And Dan is what I appreciated about the episode you did with him. He was adamant about his purpose was building that plan, not just for Colorado, but for the other states to follow as well is he understands that this is bigger than Colorado. This is Mm -hmm. bigger than lions and Bobcats. So can you kind of direct people where to go and, and what you would
1: suggest doing to actually try and make a difference? Sure. Yeah. I'd love to. So there's several places. There's, there's a few key places that your, your listeners need to understand. And I hope that by now you understand the bigger picture. And that this is going to come to your neighborhood. Coming, this is a traveling road show coming to a theater near you. And there's no escaping it, but we can we can combat it. Um, and like we've said about the anti-hunting groups, they're very well organized. They're very strategic. They're also very well funded. And hunters are always reactionary to this sort of stuff. And right now the reaction is the the main thing that we need to keep in mind is this takes money. And you say, Oh yeah, everybody's asking for money. We just talked about, you know, let me see you turn your pockets inside out. Well, where are we going to buy TV advertising? I got to, I got to lay some dynamic or some population dynamics out for you. For Colorado alone, there are 5.8 million people. Who live in the state of Colorado? 5.6 million of those people live on the front range. That's a Denver, Boulder, uh, Aurora, that metroplex area. So 5.6 million people in that area. Advertising is expensive. How are you going to get the message out? If you can't buy radio spots, you can't buy billboard space, you can't buy, you can't buy TV ads. That's the place these people are going to, we're going to buy, there's going to be social media ads, all those things. They all take money. And this year being a presidential election year, supply and demand, TV station only has so much space. It's going to be that advertising space is going for a premium. It's going for a premium. So it takes money. Don't ever think that this is not about money. It has to be about money at some point. Right now, the the thing that we need is funding we need funding to be able to to file the suits to you know to pay attorneys all that sort of stuff the legal process advertising it all takes money so the place that you can go right now to get to give donations and get more information about what is actually going on is a website called save the hunt uh, Save the Hunt Colorado will take you ex- directly to the CRWM website, Coloradans for w- Responsible Wildlife Management. You'll be able to get all the current information about the bill initiatives or the, the ballot initiatives and what's being done there. Of course, you're not going to get the whole game plan because just like the other side isn't putting their game plan out, we aren't either. So you can go there. The other place that you can start following right now is a social media group. This is the um, um, another committee that it's called the issues committee. It has it's conforming to Colorado state law. There has to be an issues committee that is called Colorado's wildlife deserve better. And you can find all that information on social media. Colorado, Colorado, Colorado's wildlife deserve better. Those two places. If you want to make donations, go to CRWM. And I'm telling you, every bid helps. We've collected money now from all 50 states. Never even heard of that. So we've hit all 50 states, but we're not to those goals yet. You know, I don't know how much exactly it's been, you know, a couple million dollars. It's going to take millions of dollars to do this, to be successful. Uh, so go to CRWM, Save the Hunt, Colorado. Donate five bucks. Donate the cost of one cup of coffee this week to this fight. I would hate for there's going to be some there's going to be some some remorse on this thing if we lose it. And you're sitting out there and listening to this, and you know you had an opportunity to get involved. There's going to be some remorse. There's going to be two camps there's going to be people that are sorry they didn't get involved and regret it or there's going to be the liars that say oh yeah i supported that you know and they didn't do anything so if we lose so man that's that's we got to have money right now Mm -hmm. inform yourself we're past the education point we're behind the curve on that now we got to have money
0: yeah and all these links will be in the show notes down in this episode, including I'm going to put in uh, Chris's episode of the Houndsman XP with Dan Gates to go listen to that. And then I'm also going Great. to throw in uh, some links to just another podcast series that I've, I've spoken about here recently with the Randy Newberg podcast and talking about uh, the... the Colorado Washington a lot of what we're talking about and how mm-hmm. some of these other states how the other side is lining up and and it's really eye-opening when it when you check it out I know a few listeners have taken my suggestion they've reached out and they're like man I had no idea it truly is eye-opening and, and I think that this just it truly can it, it can't be ignored any longer when you have little six-year-old girls coming up into your house calling you evil for for a shed antler on on a table we have surpassed that point to where inaction is no longer an option in my book. It, like you said, if you're going to wear the team colors, you got to participate in the team activities. Right. Right. So Chris, is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap this up? Cause I know that you and I could probably get revved up and keep going for another couple <laughs> hours on it.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I definitely can. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I just want to thank you for letting me come on your podcast uh you've got a great platform here, Nick. You build a great thing for bird hunters, but for also for honey. And um it's just so important that we not be asleep at the switch. You know, everybody thinks that man, we should have started this 10 years ago. Well, this is 10 years from now. What we do today is going to affect the landscape 10 years from now. So start today. Make a commitment to it and start start planning for 10 years right now and um you can check out all of our stuff you're gonna put some links out up, up there and and uh, we're doing a little fundraiser a small one uh over on our website at houndsmanxp.com and in our in our storefront there so you can check that out but yeah i just appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk and and kind of collaborate here and and uh I would encourage and I will encourage my listeners to, to go over to your platform and start picking some of that up and, and check out what we're doing on Houndsman XP too. You know, we talk about a lot of issues. We've got, a, we've got two great trainers. One of our guys is like uh, a bird dog trainer, the other guy is a, a, a police canine trainer, both professional trainers. And we talk about stuff like that all the time. So mm-hmm. check us out yeah no i I enjoyed it and uh again we're gonna have to circle back
0: and actually do a fun episode talking about singing hounds because as as you and i kind of briefly got to know each other a couple weeks ago it's uh the hounds is what really brought me to the dog world and uh but you guys are nuts and i enjoy sleeping so i i didn't stick around too (laughs) long so uh but yeah, Chris, uh, you know we'll, we will circle back and actually have a fruitful and, and fun conversation to where we're not just sitting on soapboxes the whole time.
1: Look forward to it, Nick. Awesome,
0: appreciate it.